Welcome to Stay at Home, Mom, with your illustrious host, Leslie Goodgesell, mother to six beautiful daughters, wife to an amazingly hardworking and supportive husband, homeschooler, and homesteader in the making. Join me on this journey, this blessing of what motherhood looks like. Welcome to this week's episode of Stay at Home, Mom, where we are continuing our series of birthing people, the politically correct term that we use for moms. These are women who are actually either giving birth or adopting or putting themselves in a position where they're a mom. This week, we are interviewing a beautiful woman. Her name is Lori. I have had the privilege of meeting her through the RSB chat room and the RSB family. She has done amazing things in her life, but she has an incredible story just about the mom side of who she is, right? Because we have all these different hats we wear. She has a race car hat. She has a making t-shirts hat. She has an employee hat. She had a wife hat and a mom hat and a grandma hat. She's got all these hats. Today, we're going to talk about her mom hat because she has an incredible story about that journey and what it looked like and the choices she made. And now she gets to experience the joy of being a grandmother because she actually let her kids survive their teen years. And I would like to learn how to do that. So without further ado, Lori, welcome to the Stay at Home Mom podcast. Well, hello, Leslie, and thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be on this beautiful podcast that you have. Thank you. It's more beautiful now because you're here. Well, thank you. So we talked a little bit before I started recording about how many children you have, how young you started as a mom, choices that you and your husband made regarding being a parent. Because it sounded like your husband kind of already had this plan laid out. Like, this is how it's going to look. And you kind of went in like, oh, sure, why not? Exactly. Yeah, he was actually way back when he was a freshman in high school, he decided that he didn't want to get any vaccines, but his parents forced him anyway. And when we were preparing for our wedding, February of 88, he said, our kids aren't going to be vaccinated. It's like, okay. I hadn't really dived into the topic yet. So I was like, okay, that sounds fine with me. And Five months later, when I was doing volunteer work at the Red Cross Center is when I finally started diving down the rabbit hole of vaccines. And it's like, I'm either going to dig my way to the center of the earth or dig my way to China. One of the two. And that's been 35 years ago this summer that I went down that rabbit hole. That's a lifetime. Yeah. And that was fresh right out of high school because I graduated in 1988. So you got married in 88, right after you graduated. And then when did you become a mom? Actually, my husband and I got married the week before high school graduation. So I went attended high school five days as a married person. Oh, we <laughs> We graduated from the same high school. So a lot of teachers, he had, I had. And when they figured out we were dating, all bets were off. During my time at the Red Cross Center, I became pregnant. I ended up losing the baby at six weeks. So we waited a few months and then we got pregnant again. At this point, it was already down that rabbit hole. And so I really started really diving down into it. We moved up to Northeast Iowa and I found a midwife. Got along great. We clicked, you know, everything perfect. And so it came time to make the birth plan and we wrote out what we wanted to do. And we said, no hep B shot, no vitamin K, nothing like that. And she read through the birth plan she says i'm sorry i can't go along with this and she dumped me halfway through my seventh the midwife yes are there some weird laws in iowa that say that you 
absolutely have to do these things? No, you can opt out of them. There is a religious exemption available in Iowa. And she said it was better to have a live baby and a dead baby. And you're like, exactly. That's why I'm choosing to not have these things. Exactly. And so we uh, had to go and search for another doctor. And there was very limited choices in Northeast Iowa because, you know, everything was so spread out. So one of our church friends who also lived just an hour to the east of us, she said, here's the name of a doctor that might work for what you want. And I said, okay. We went and saw him and we kind of clicked, but not really. At that point, I was halfway through my eighth month and was getting a little anxious about things. I was like, okay, we'll make this work. Craig was a 28-hour natural labor. I gave birth to him at 5.59 a.m. on the morning of March 14, 1990. And I started to bleed a little bit and the doctor panicked. And I hadn't screamed the entire time of this labor, you know, not during the crowning process or anything. He reached in and manually extracted the placenta. What? Yes. I screamed because I felt like my insides was being ripped out. And he not only did it once, but he reached that second time and sweep the uterus to make sure he had gotten it all out. Oh my gosh. And at that point, I started bleeding profusely. They're pumping Pitocin IM into my arm. They're quickly getting IV set up and throwing Pitocin into there to try to get things clamped down. And finally, three hours later, they got things calmed down enough that, you know, they weren't pumping me full of Pitocin all the time. Did you need a blood transfusion after that? They wanted me to. And I said no, because since I had worked at the Red Cross Center, I spent a year in the blood center doing volunteer work. I didn't trust the process because I saw shortcuts being taken. I saw other things happening. It's like, I don't trust the process. I still don't to this day. The, you know, the doctor came in a few hours later and said they had, you know, they had taken the placenta down to the lab. I said, did they get it all? He said, yeah, we got it all. I was like, okay, because I was worried about fragments being left in there. This was on a Tuesday morning, Thursday afternoon. I got to go home because it kept me extra time. And two weeks after Craig was born, we had gone out to eat, went to Pizza Hut. We came back out to the car and I had a sharp cramp. Didn't think much about it. We went home and we were sitting on the couch watching Rescue 911. Of all shows, I started feeling something warm come out of me. And it's like, okay, this is weird. We had to wait to a commercial break. Yeah, because we didn't have DVRs back then. No. And so I ran to the bathroom and I sat on the toilet and there was just blood gushing out of me. Oh my goodness. My husband yelled at me. He said, Lori, are you okay? I didn't answer him because I was scared. He came running in. He goes, we have a problem here. It's like, yeah, we do. Yeah, we live seven miles from the nearest town. We didn't have a phone at the time, so there was no way to call an ambulance. We waited about half an hour trying to see if things were going to calm down a little bit. They didn't. And um, so we loaded up Craig into the car and he came in, got me. I slowly walked out because I was trying to get lightheaded. It was a 45-minute drive to the hospital from where we were at. And we made it in 25 minutes. Oh, wow. We were we were gone faster, except the tires in my car were just a bit questionable. I remember going through the next town over, which is Fredericksburg, and I passed out. And the next thing I remember was coming to a screeching stop at the four-way stop sign of West Union, Iowa. Wow. He got to the hospital. He ran in, told me what was going on. He came out to try to get me. I couldn't walk. I had lost so much blood. I couldn't walk at that point. So he carried me in. The room just came instantly crowded. They did emergency DNC that night, and they did a, a CVC to see where I was. Was blood wise, and I had lost 65% of my blood supply that night. And they handed the forms to my husband to sign, and he asked, they wanted to get, give me blood. And I said, No, no blood. He hasn't put on a 
only if absolutely necessary. And the doctor still pushed for it. I said, no, I don't. I'll lay in bed all summer. I have to, but I'm not taking any blood. It took me a year to get back on my feet. In the middle of summer, I was wearing sweatshirts. Mount Pinatubo had blown, so the sun was being blocked anyway because of the ash. And so the middle of summer, I was wearing sweatshirts and just laying around all summer, enjoying being a mom and nursing and rebuilding your blood cells. <laughs> rebuilding my blood cells, exactly. It's amazing yeah. what the human body can endure, isn't it? Yeah. It, there's a lot of people that don't believe me. They said, that there's no way you could survive that way and live in proof. And I've got the medical records here to prove it. <laughs> well, and people believe that we can't survive at this point without medical intervention. Like we have to have doctors in order to live, except we lived for centuries without doctors before. Exactly. You know, you had the midwives who knew all the natural medicines to stop that kind of stuff, to take care of that kind of things. And, yeah. and during this process, the doctor was pushing the vaccine issue for Craig. And we said, no, nope, no vaccines. Well, he could die. Yeah. All these diseases and stuff. It's like, and you know what? He could die if he does get them. So no, we're not going that route. I think Craig was like two or four months old and we decided, okay, we're not going to go back to this guy anymore. We're not, we're just going to go to the doctor if we have to. He didn't see another doctor until he was 11 months old when he got his first fear infection. She wasn't happy that he didn't have any vaccines, but she didn't question me on that. Five years later, Miss Hannah comes along. She was 32 hours natural birth. With Hannah, I had a midwife in a hospital setting at uh, Mary Greeley Medical Center in Ames, Iowa. And the midwife had known that had problems with bleeding after Craig. And so she was prepared just in case things got out of control again. I did have problems with bleeding again, but we kept the blood loss at 32% this time. Okay. How did she do that? Did she use herbs? She used Pitocin, you know, because of the restrictions of the hospital. She couldn't use the natural stuff, but, you know. Right. She didn't push as much Pitocin into me as what the first time was. She said, don't do a lot of massage, keep the uterus clamped down. Right. Do a lot of nursing, to, you know, to, for natural that way. And Hannah did nurse quite a bit. Actually, she weaned herself when she was 37 months old. So That's really impressive. I was doing good with a 23-month-old. Craig was 18 months old when he weaned himself. And again, you know, we got a little bit of pushback, not doing the vitamin K, the antibiotic ointment, and the hep B, but it wasn't nearly as bad as what we had gotten in West Union. And so our kids grew up without any vaccines. Did that make it difficult for them to be involved in things? Because people have this idea that if your children aren't vaccinated, they can't go to school. They can't be part of sport. They can't be in clubs. They can't do the things that other kids are doing because they don't have these vaccines. No. Yeah, we had our religious exemption papers filled out. We submitted those to the school nurses. And the school nurse said, well, if there is a, an outbreak of a communicable disease in the school, we're going to have to pull your child out. I said, why? Well, they might die if they get the disease. I'm going, well, I disagree. We'll deal with it when we have to. And at one point during my son's senior year in high school, there was an outbreak of chicken pox at his school. And the nurse called and said, I was going to pull him out. I'm going, well, he had chicken pox when he was 11 months old. You know, it's a non-issue. Right. He has the titers for it now. Which is what your vaccines do. Give us titers. 
Well, I, I need proof that he that he had chicken pox. I need a statement from the doctor. I'm going, I, I'm sorry. He didn't officially see a doctor. I said, I had chicken pox. The doctor diagnosed with me. He said, your son's going to get it, but he'll get through it just fine. Don't worry about it. You know, nurse him as necessary and colloidal oatmeal baths. You guys will get us through it just fine. And this is 1991 is when I had, I had chicken pox my 21st birthday. I had chicken pox when I was eight and I, I just remember it was horrible. And I had them in the middle of summer and I couldn't go outside. The doctor was like, keep her out of the sun, put her in oatmeal baths. And we didn't have central air or anything because it was the 80s, you know. And I just remember laying there and every square inch of my body itched so bad. It was awful. It was horrible. And on top of that, my husband's gone six days a week trucking. You raised your kids how I raised mine. My husband came home every night, but he left at like 6 a.m. and came home at like 11 p.m. So I didn't see him all week. We mostly just saw him on Sunday because Saturday he was just recovering from the whole week. Sunday was the only day that he was actually present. Yeah, he would leave on a Sunday afternoon and he wouldn't get home until Friday evening. The firm he was driving for was two and a half hours away. I called him up, name of the elevator where he was hauling out of. I said, please have my husband call me. I'm going, this is what's going on. And I had been around a lot of his co-workers because I had gone down and dropped him off. And so I wanted his co-workers to know that Hey, this is what's going on. So, you know, you might want to let them know he's they break out. Fortunately, everyone I had been around had already had chicken pox as a child. So, you know, these are people in their 30s, 40s, 50s. I think there was one in the 60s. So, and so he wanted to come home, but he also knew we needed the money. So he didn't. But he called me every night to see how I was doing. But yeah, that, that was a really rough time. You both survived. We both survived. Yes. At 11 months, he survived chicken pox. And then his senior year, they're like, we want proof of that. Yeah, the nurse, I went round and round. She said, well, if he gets chicken pox, it's not my responsibility. I'm going, okay, it's fine. Never said it would have been. <laughs> <laughs> the kids grew up unvaccinated. And my son, when he got older, he was getting ready to move out. He said, don't worry, mom, a needle will never touch my arm. They were never going to get vaccinated. And I said, okay, good. I'm, I'm glad. You know, because he would listen to the webinars I had going on, doctors and other professionals against vaccines. And then he met his wife, who is pro-vaccine. And when he was going through the training needed to become a prison guard for the state of Illinois, he had to go in and get a physical. And they asked for his vaccination record. And he says, I've never had any vaccines. And the doctor said, you could die since you didn't get any. It's like, I told Craig, you could have died if you did get them. Mom, you don't know what you're talking about. So all of a sudden, he's flipped. And so he's got himself all cut up. Yeah. So as he's getting ready to become a prison guard, I'm sure they were like, you are required to have all of these vaccines instead of running a titer panel on him to say, hey, you actually don't need any of these vaccines because you are showing titers for all of these. Because without a doubt, he has come into contact with all of these communicable diseases at some point in his 20 some years of life. There's no way he doesn't have titers for them. Exactly. They're just going to vaccinate him anyway. Yeah, he's. He gotten all the vaccines except for chicken pox. He he knew he had it, but DPT, the MMR, whatever else is out there, I, I don't. Even the Hep B because they have an adult Hep B. Yeah, 
And so my grandson is fully vaccinated, of course, except for the COVID jab. But now since Illinois is requiring the COVID jab in order for kids to attend school in Illinois, he'll be getting the jab as well, which scares the crap out of me. Since he's fully vaccinated, he has sensory processing disorder. But um, Hannah has remained vaccine-free. When she was pregnant with Miss Carly, I went with her to all her prenatal visits because she was very worried about what was going to happen. And she went to the same midwives that I saw. In fact, the midwife that delivered Hannah also delivered Miss Carly. So I thought that was kind of neat. That is super cool. Yeah. And her mother-in-law did not agree with her to not vaccinate Carly. Wow. But seeing how healthy Carly is, Carly got COVID and she had it beat within a day, day and a half. Whereas her parents, they were down with it for five, seven, ten days. She has a very strong, robust immune system. You know, if she gets sick, she's not sick for that long. So, yeah, the only thing that Hannah gets is she gets the Rogam shot because Doug is RH positive and Hannah's RH negative and Miss Curly is RH positive. So, you're worried about sensitivities and that kind of stuff. So, my husband and I were both RH negative. So, naturally, we had RH negative kids. So, the son decided to not stay vaccine-free. Do you think that was mostly due to the influence of the woman that he was super in love with? Yes, they're, they're still together. He falls in love with this woman and she completely alters everything that he knows to be true. Right. Did you sit down and have a conversation with him and ask him, do you understand why we didn't do this? In my opinion, and the way I see it is when somebody is kind of firm in what they believe about something, And then they all of a sudden change it. It's because they didn't own that. It wasn't a real conviction for them. It was kind of like they adopted your conviction. Some people who are like raised in the church, they're like, oh, well, I'm a Christian because my parents brought me to church every weekend when I was a kid. So that makes me a Christian. Like my parents' faith is my faith kind of a thing. Do you feel like maybe that was kind of what he had going on there? It was your belief. It was his parents' belief. And so he was just kind of carrying that on, but he didn't really have a why. So he was easily swayed. Or are women really just that powerful? Because I don't have that kind of pull on my husband. Well, she is what I call an alpha female. She's very much a leader. That's the way I see it. And I haven't, haven't been able to talk to Craig since March. It's been almost four months now, no, five months. And I tried to talk to him about this. And because he has such strong beliefs now, it's a topic that we can't even talk about at all. Has he been able to express that belief in a way that makes it a conviction? Or is he just adopting somebody else's belief again, kind of like he may have done when he was a kid? I think he's adopting somebody else's belief because a doctor told him he could have died if he didn't get the vaccine. Or his you know, his wife did all this research on vaccines and she trusted the science. It's like, if you really did your homework like I have over the last 35 years, you would run just as far as you could away from them. Absolutely. Well, and they're younger, right? I started having kids 17 years ago. They just started not that long ago. 17 years ago, 18 years ago, there wasn't a ton of research readily available at our fingertips like there is today. There wasn't, if I typed in, you know, I don't know, side effects, because even like WebMD, if I type in side effects for the Hep B shot, it'll pull up basically what the insert says. It'll tell me everything. I didn't have that when I started having kids. I didn't have any of that available. My friends who didn't vaccinate, I would ask, why aren't you vaccinating? And they just said, we just don't feel like it's necessary. Or my conviction tells me that I shouldn't do it. My faith dictates that I don't do it. But nobody had like hard evidence 
doctors didn't provide hard evidence either, so I can't even say the doctors provided me with proof that it was beneficial. James and I went in with the thought process of, if there's something I can do to prevent my child from being harmed, I will do whatever that takes whatever it looks like, right? I don't want my child to be sick, but at the same time, it seems like such an oxymoron because injecting something into our child's bloodstream in our mind was beneficial and not detrimental. It took years because most of my kids are, all of my kids are vaccinated to an extent. We absolutely stopped by the time our youngest was two, stopped all of them because I read a study about meningitis vaccine and how it was actually causing more bacterial meningitis than it was stopping viral meningitis, which blew my mind. I didn't even know that they were going to require my oldest to get that until I got into the doctor's office when she was 11 to get her hep B booster. And the doctor said, well, she also needs a meningitis vaccine. I'm like, no, she doesn't. She doesn't. She's homeschooled. Where is she ever going to come into contact with meningitis? Well, she has to have it by at least 14. And I'm like, have you read the studies on that? Because three days ago, I just read a study on how it's causing more bacterial meningitis from this vaccination than viral meningitis cases that are ever even found. Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know that I've seen that. And I'm like, well, if I just some random person on the internet can scroll and find this actual medical journal article, (laughs) I'm sure you, who has all this training and knowledge, can look it up. And that doctor didn't want to hear it. So I started to question more things. And when I watched my 11-year-old hide under the table in the doctor's office, balled up in the fetal position, screaming at the top of her lungs like somebody was stabbing her to death, (laughs) it was like the Holy Spirit opened my eyes. It was the veil was lifted at that point. And I thought, she's always responded this way. Her body is rejecting this. Her body is actually telling me she doesn't need it. And I've been ignoring her and going against exactly what her body is telling me. I had to repent. I repented to her. I started crying. I'm like, I am so sorry. I should have never vaccinated you. And we stopped vaccinating completely because it wasn't too long after that that I watched one of the meetings where they were voting to put another vaccine on the adult schedule. And they're asking all the questions. Do we know how this adjuvant interacts with this? No. Do we know how this vaccine will interact with this vaccine? No. Do we know how these two ingredients respond to one another? No. Do we know? Answers were no. Okay, well, let's put it to a vote. They all put it to a vote and passed it. And then after they all voted yes, somebody says, well, how are we going to know how these things interact? And they said, well, we'll just put it out in the marketplace and then we'll collect the data. And I called my husband at work and I said, we're done. No one is ever getting another vaccine as long as any of us live. When I told him that whole breakdown of that whole meeting, I said, I wouldn't have believed it if somebody told me. I wouldn't have believed it. But I watched it with my own eyes and I couldn't fully comprehend what I was actually witnessing. But it was everything in me knew that's exactly what every vaccine had been placed on that schedule was the exact same way. I just knew it. These highly tested and safe and effective, they don't know anything. And to say that certain diseases, autoimmune diseases, mental health issues, learning disability, all these things that we're seeing this huge influx of in our society, to say that it isn't at all related to the vaccine schedule, the correlation is obvious in my mind. When I started seeing more evidence of money, of the laws, how everything's been kind of laid out for us since the 80s, I didn't need any more evidence for me to say common sense says this. When you're making studies, your pharmaceutical drug companies are paying for studies 
to tell you something is a faith, there is an obvious bias. That's why I wonder, because I went from believing in vaccines to not believing in vaccines. And my husband kind of just fell in line with whatever my conviction was, right? He didn't do his research. He was trusting me to do the research. So that's kind of why I asked about your son, because he doesn't have the time to look into it himself. It's not something that he's focused on. He's not something that he wants to invest his time and his mental capacity to do. (laughs) He's just trusting I'm going to do it and give him the right information. So that's I was wondering if maybe that's what your son's relationship with his wife is like when she says, well, you know, I did this research. Research. The truth of the matter is that there's zero actual research and studies done to prove vaccines safe and effective, unbiased ones anyway. I didn't necessarily want to believe that vaccines weren't safe and effective because if they weren't, that meant I was a terrible parent for subjecting my children to this every three months while they were infants, right? That's a horrible reality to come to terms with. But I'm not prideful enough to believe that I have all the answers either. And I could still be wrong about a lot of things. But I do know that I had a lot of peace when I decided not to vaccinate anymore. When I told my kids we weren't going to do it, every single one of them started crying and said thank you, especially my oldest. She was like, I've been telling you for years. Yeah. When I started down this rabbit hole, the card catalog at the local library was my Google. And if you remember using a card catalog, it was was hard to find info. Yeah, that's why I said I don't even know how you did that. I don't know how you even found anything. I don't know. It it was the first drawer I pulled open and I just kind of went to the middle of the drawer and there was the information I was looking for right there. Divine intervention. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I think that, you know, divine intervention is what set me down this path. And there is a reason why I'm doing what I'm doing and that, that I have been doing for 35 years. You know, it's something we both listen to. We can't poison ourselves to health. There's just no way. The ICANN network has shown no safety studies have been done on vaccina- vaccinations. They're supposed to be doing publishing studies every two years on safety, safety improvements. But since the vaccine manufacturers have immunity from liability on these, there's no incentive to make them safer. The Supreme Court said in 2010, vaccines are unavoidably unsafe, period. And all the deaths, all the various reports show that. You spent 35 years doing all of this research. What do you do with this research and this knowledge? What are you doing now? Um, I have a blog that I do. As soon as the chaos of the home improvements gets done, I'm going to be getting my own podcast going and talking. And it's going to talk anywhere from vaccinations to health to cancer. It's going to be a broad spectrum how to beat insurance companies at their own game. That sounds great. I'm also... I also have a Substack. I have it, but I haven't officially started yet. So, you know, there's lots of avenues. I haven't had the opportunity to get everything in place to do what I want to do. I also have a book I'm working on, too. It's called from Silence to Awoke, My Journey from a Big Pharma Guinea Pig to a Big Pharma Critic. That's awesome. Ooh, I can't wait for that to come out. <laughs> what is your blog? So I can actually put it in my show notes and send listeners there that haven't found you yet to read some of your blog posts that you share. My blog is vaccinefreehealth.blogspot.com. A lot of people have a lot of questions about vaccines and don't necessarily know where to go. I'm sure you probably share a lot of the research that you're finding. Yeah, the I have 
thousands of bookmarks on my computer from all the research I've done. It's like, okay, I need to save this. This is future blog, blog or future, you know, more research, more research. I, there was one night I got home from my second job. I sat down from my computer and I just casually did a, a search. It's like, hmm. And then it's like, oh, I should not have gone down this rabbit hole because <laughs> I have to work in the morning. <laughs> what an incredible journey. So you go to Autism One almost yep. every year, right? Yeah. In fact, I'm speaking at Autism One this year. You are? What are you going to speak about? I'm going to be speaking on insurance. Me and my uh, financial advisor, he is going to be, he has a son who's on the spectrum and he's going to be talking about ABLE accounts. The ABLE accounts are accounts that parents who have special needs children can set up. So when their parents are gone and the kids are older, they have a way to help pay for their expenses and their care and that kind of stuff when they that is really cool. I didn't even know that was available. So if you want to learn about autism, vaccines, navigating the insurance mess, and all of the things related to health, because they don't just focus only on autism, they kind of help you navigate through all of that, especially if you just had a child diagnosed with autism or on the spectrum. It's a great resource for people to have. Incredible group of people who get together to share their knowledge and their understanding with everyone. And it's really neat that it's virtual this year. I didn't even realize that. This is the first year it's been virtual. The years I have done the virtual autism one, it's not like actually being there and talking with people in, in person about topic, seeing the vendors and seeing all these specialists that are talking and be able to speak with them afterwards one-on-one -on -one and just probing them and asking all the questions that you wouldn't normally get to ask. Right. Do they do a Q&A kind of a thing with the virtual or not? the speaker. Okay. Well, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners regarding being a mom and navigating this whole life journey to your kids now being adults? And is, was that a hard transition? Let me ask that. Going from teenagers where you really question whether or not anybody is going to survive those years to them being adults. Was that a difficult transition to navigate for you? I think it was more of a difficult transition than when they went from just being kids to the tweens to the teen years. It was having to learn to parent them. You know, I had an adult child and I still had a teenager at home. Still parenting both of them, you know, being there for them as needed. It was a really hard transition. You know, patience is of the utmost importance when parenting adult children. They have their own lives now. They're learning to navigate the world. Be there for them, answer the questions, support them, but don't overpower them. Try to decide what's best for them. Yeah. My kids already try to accuse me of doing that. Yeah. You know, they go on their own. They do make mistakes and their life falls to pieces. Be there, help them pick up the pieces to move on. But at the same time, they need to learn that that mistake is a learning mistake. Learn yeah. from it. Go forward. Yeah. So I'm trying now, while they're still here with me, I'm trying really hard to be as hands off as I can to not overpower them, even while they're here in my mind. I mean, I don't know implementation if it's actually going to be effective, but in my mind, it'll make it more effective once they leave to not insert myself <laughs> into their daily lives like I would want to. 
yeah, it's, it's hard. Well, I appreciate your time so much and I look forward to having you on. We're going to have you on another time. You have a very unique story about what you experienced with your husband. And I don't want to get into it this time because I wanted to focus on your momming because <laughs> I think you've probably been a pretty great mom. You've protected your kids from a lot of things and been very honest and open with them. So I wanted to focus on that, but we'll definitely have you on again to talk about your story, the journey that you walked with your husband. Until then, I'm going to direct people to your blog so they can read the incredible information that you have there and encourage everybody to check out Autism One. Thank you so much for being here, Lori. Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to coming back. Well, stay-at-home mom listeners, I hope that you were blessed and encouraged by Lori's story and her journey, the things she has learned and shared, that transition going from being that hands-on mom with littles to them growing into teenagers and into adulthood. It's a whole different aspect of motherhood that I have yet to encounter. So I'm so thankful that she was willing to share that. Check out our show notes to find links to her blog, to find links to Autism One, which is behind us now. But I do believe they do replays and you can connect with everything that they've done. Don't forget to check out our affiliate links below. We have Rejuva Minerals, which is a U.S.-based makeup and skincare company that we've been using for over 10 years. It's the only makeup I let my kids use. It is amazing and it'll make you look beautiful. Also, we have a new affiliate, which is Not Consumed Ministries, which provides very family-friendly Bible studies to do with your kids and as an entire family. We started doing them with our girls this year. They've been very encouraging. It's very topic friendly, so you can find something that your kids would really like to dive into or maybe something that you want your kids to dive into. It'll give them a whole new perspective on issues or areas in their life that they know that they need to improve on or things that they see that they don't necessarily understand. So Not Consumed Ministries has a link below as well check them out. You will love everything that they have. And as always, I'm going to encourage you to love your families, love those children, give them lots of hugs and kisses, encourage them, be the mom, be the woman, be the wife that builds your home with your own two hands and encourage others along the way. We'll connect with you next time.